0: listeners, welcome to Iowa Basement Tapes. I'm your host Christian Day. This is uh, part two of our two year anniversary special and uh, I'm actually going to have my first guest since uh, um, pre-COVID, which we had uh, uh, Chuck Hoffman on I believe was the last guy we had on the show. I could be wrong, but uh, I have Dan Loy of Slim Tones. Um, with us today, and um, this is uh, my f- my first remote interview since um, Adam Staley Grove's uh, uh, drunk night out in uh, in South Korea. Um, so, Dan, thank you for for being on the show.
1: Absolutely mm-hmm. thrilled to be here. Thank you.
0: So, uh, folks, the origins of this, and some of you who who have followed along with the show since the beginning, probably have already put this together in your head. Um, last fall, Chuck Hoffman had shipped to me. I don't want to say shipped. I mean, I went to his house and picked it up, but boxes of, of tapes. And one of them, um, was a compilation from Iowa city, the squirrel energy now compilation. And it was one I'd never heard of before. When I, when I think of the early nineties, Iowa city scene, I think of Southeast records. Um, I think of, uh, the the useless compilations um, that were put out. But this one was really interesting because it looked like, I I believe someone had actually colored it in with crayon. Now that could have been Chuck's kids, or it could have been how that tape was put out. (laughs) Um, And Slim Tones, uh, a band that you were involved in um, in the early nineties, had a cover of Purple Ring on it. And, it And, and, you, uh, you reached out, you sent over the 93 demo of Slim Tones, and it's it's an amazing piece. It is an amazing, <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is great to hear. So let's talk about the Slim Tones. Well, actually, let's talk about you and sure. your involvement with the, uh, the Iowa music scene.
1: Um, yeah, well, I, you know, like many, many other people, I arrived in Iowa City as a, a freshman in 1991. And, you know, I'd come from Muscatine. And uh, was obviously really into all things music and bands and whatnot. And uh, when you get to Iowa City, the great thing is there's so many other people who are kind of into the same thing. And I remember I was sitting at an essays class, and there was a guy, a long-haired guy, you know, not too far away with a, a Sonic Youth shirt on. And I was like, "That's not, that seems like a neat guy to talk to. And so I go over, and we're chit-chatting. His name's Mike Epting and uh we shared our love for dinosaur junior and sonic youth and and all these bands and um you know it was like hey do you have a guitar yeah i do hey do you have a bass and hey i know a guy down in the dorm room who knows another guy who has a drum kit and um that was the formation of this uh this legendary slim tones band that we've all heard so much about um so to speak but uh but that was really it and we would we would um get together and i think it was tuesday nights in the dorm room courier hall and we had the audacity to actually practice in the dorm room, which, you know, we were, we were definitely in the wrong with that. We probably should not have been doing it, but they they kind of led us for as long as they possibly could. And that led into meeting many other people in the local uh, Iowa City band scene at that time.
0: No, Iowa City, especially this era, it's kind of a legendary era for Iowa City's, um, for the bands that were coming out of that time. Um, uh, whether you're from aware of it <laughs> or self-awareness <Right>. or not, <laughs> you know. Because, again, I go back, this is the era of Southeast Records. This is the era of um, Useless. The, the I'm not, Who was it that was doing Useless back then? Uh,
1: useless, I'm actually, I'm holding in my hands, which i got to get to you, a, a copy of the Survival is Killing Me. It's on vinyl, second Useless compilation. And it's got, gosh, I'm looking at, I don't see, I'm not seeing any, s crow is the artist but i mean this thing has got some ed gray on it it's got uh the duma ambassador krill so i'm not sure the people who are involved in it but yeah they they put out some phenomenal phenomenal stuff so i actually
0: so. have that record i have not made a oh, archive yeah. of it and it but that is a, an amazing record because it has uh mold on it yes. which is of my favorites from that era uh, Mr. Clean, which I don't think Mr. Oh. Clean put out any of their own releases. I could be wrong.
1: Mr. Clean was, was amazing. Uh, they, were, they were a four-piece band. Uh, Kylie Budden played in, and I think he was, he was one of the guitarists. And um, they, were, they were on stage, they were just intimidating, frightening. Like, I would like, step away. But then offstage, nicest, sweetest guys in the world. Um, the band that I was in later on called Tim, they uh, had us open for them a couple times. Just the sweetest, really being in support of the the local scene. Yeah, they're one of those kind of uh, bands that I've looked up and tried to find more and have not been able to find any since this one compilation. So, You were mentioning earlier the, the squirrel energy now, and I do have a little bit of background on that. Oh, I would love um, to
0: hear about this because I if, I have no information about this thing.
1: Y- yeah, and that's how I kind of found you out is because you'd posted that and if now I might be getting a lot of this wrong but what I remember is Squirrel Energy Now was Mike Epting of Slim Tones and later on of like Ambush Number 5 and other bands and his friend Adam Svensson and the two of them gosh this would have been yeah 93-94 they kind of got together with the idea of putting out cassette only just like lowest of the low-fi kind of uh, kind of stuff. Uh, cassette recordings, bedroom recordings, things like that, stuff put on just uh, boom boxes. And collecting this from around Iowa City, uh, putting it on only cassette releases. Uh, they would just record, they would just make tapes in their dorm rooms or apartments. And then they would put on shows kind of wherever they could get a stage, whether it was just an outdoor place or if a church would lend them uh, a space or something like that. So it was very, very much... Uh, locally grown super lo-fi nineteen uh, nineties stuff. And yeah, if I if I remember right, yeah, I believe all of the, the covers were like hand colored uh, at the apartments, like just Xeroxed cut and then colored by Crayon.
0: And the the track listing you probably you had you had mentioned to me that the that the fact that we that we also played Black Ink Pen was as as much of a an omen as someone playing Slim Tones on the radio in this day and age. Uh, I'm gonna I want to go through this comp and see if there's anything you can talk about because a lot again a lot of these bands. Um, I mean I knew Ed, who Ed Gray was, um, but a lot of the stuff I had never heard of until I picked up this tape. Um, so so and and actually Black Ink Pen we're actually gonna that's on your Iowa playlist that we're gonna go through. Um, well, I'm going to skip that until we play the song, but what about the Healthy Bunch? I just played them, I think, a week ago.
1: You, yeah, and I remember I got a, that's when I got to plead some ignorance to. You played it, and I'm like, that is a really, really good track, but I, I, that's a band I don't know much about. I mean, I think I remember hearing their name tossed around, but the beauty of Squirrel Energy was it, it could have been a couple of people in a band who got together for an afternoon and did this thing. Or it could have been a more long-term thing. So yeah, I, I gotta plead ignorance on that one. I'm afraid.
0: That's actually a really cool idea that they they existed for like a couple hours, while they jammed out, recorded it, and that's what the, that's what this is. Um, what about uh, I think track six? It was uh, this. It, it was just like the letter E, and it had a and Latin lover.
1: Okay. <laughs> now again, I, I, I may be speaking well out of of my context, but when I saw that. I was wondering if, the, if that was the band Schwa, and the band Schwa was people from Iowa City and also from Des Moines, because Mike captain was originally from Des Moines, I think Adam Spencer was as well, and yes, it was like a schwa, I'm so going to get this wrong, a schwa is like a, a phoneme, It's a, it's a phonetic way of saying the letter E, and so they would intentionally put it on the like you would see posters and it would see E, but it's like, no, that's the band Schwa. I think that that's what that is. And if I think it was just a guy and I don't remember his name, that's... but he would, he would record a couple of things. <laughs> I mean, very, very typical. That was very typical of just early Iowa city. I mean, honestly, it, it, it was someone in a bedroom and it was, it was them kind of doing their thing, putting it out to other people. I mean, who, who loved it and kind of passed it around. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking that's who that was, but I don't know for sure.
0: Well, I think what's interesting about this is that um, this reminds me a lot of the like the early industrial experimental stuff where it was j- kind of just jamming and making up this weird music. Um, and I didn't realize how avant-garde Iowa City was during this era. Uh, Randy Ike.:
1: Randy Ike, I do remember being around. Um, his name was tossed around, kind of along with the like the, the useless comps and things like that. And I remember his name being in context a lot with Ed Gray. But more than that, it was it was again it was sort of a name on a poster, um, and that would be about all that I'd remember. So yeah,
0: Tom Armstrong.
1: Tom Armstrong again, kind of in the same as, as like the the Randy Ike, but but not much more. Sorry,
0: just just weirdos in the scene at the time. Then. Just.
1: Well, and, and that's, you know, you mentioned earlier that, like, Iowa City had this kind of avant-garde, and it's, it's very true, and it's sort of like, in the early 90s, if you wanted to, like, you could get shows and gigs, but it was kind of caught between going to a show and seeing seven people on stage, you know, with you know, a ukulele player, and they had, a, they had a, a French hornist, and they had a guitar, and they had, well, it's a really, really kind of twisted avant-garde or you had bands like, like Dagobah, High Lonesome, and again, Not Knocking Them, who are just much more traditional blues-based bands. You had your occasional Sludge Plow, which is just kind of, you know, doing the grunge. And yes. Stuff like
0: that. Yes. Love that. Um,
1: yeah. And, and so it was this, this kind of interesting mix, and it was great because you could kind of just pick and choose. And sometimes, like Squirrel Energy Now shows very much kind of encouraged, the, like like they had a lineup, but it was very much, yeah, this guy's playing in this band, and then he's, pick, he's also playing in the third band over, and... things like that you know so
0: so as far as like venues go I mean were were you guys doing a lot of house shows or was it a lot of Gabes or uh, Ed Nearing had Secret Garden Cafe back then I believe
1: yeah we we did a lot of Gabes I mean always opening for whomever was coming through uh, which was great we we would play anywhere I mean we played we played a dormitory we played during the dinner hour at a dorm once uh, which was wow that was an interesting just (laughs) the crowd not into that at all But uh, we played Gunners when Gunners came along later, Uh, Union Bar once or twice, but for the most part, they weren't too much into what we were doing. So it it was, it was, or, you know, churches, it it was a good time again for people to sort of put together a show, contact an organization that had a stage, they would be willing to have four or five bands go on. And then a lot of times we try to tie it into, you know, in a way like, oh, local charity, or if it's going to this or something like that. I mean, because, you know, no one... No one was making any money off of these. It was just the opportunity to get up there and and play, you know, and put your stuff out there. So
0: um, I'm going to pull up. Um, I think it's time we we, we jump into a, one of your songs here. And I kind of I would actually like to start with Black Ink Pen. And um, since they were part of the Squirrel Energy, now I've I've played them before. But again, this is an era I, I'm not as familiar with. I, I shouldn't say that. Because I, I, there is some stuff, I, I became very much a scholar of the Southeast Records releases, but this seems outside of that realm um, to me. So let's, uh, let's talk about Black Ink Pen before we get into the song.
1: Yeah. Um, Black Ink Pen was mostly one dude, and it was, it was again, the magical name Mike Epting, um, the guy in the Sonic Youth shirt. Who, you know, started off, I think his first band in Iowa City was Slim Tones. And then he kind of spread out from there. And I remember it was actually at one of the, probably the same recording session that we did the demo tape. Uh, you know, everyone had gone home and Epting plugged in the four track and did the song Ball of Yarn. Um, which, you know, we were like, "That that's fantastic. Why don't you put the name Slim Tones on that? <laughs> but But he... Was kind of already seeing that he wanted to kind of go and do a little bit something else. Um, yeah, most of the Black Ink Pen recordings that I've heard, actually, you've you've played most of the ones that I've that I've heard. But it was it was him. It was his four track. Uh, it was it was maybe someone come and do like a a second part of like an extra vocal. But it's that's all Mikey Epting's brainchild.
0: Cool. Well, here is uh, Black Ink Pen, and this is is this off the comp? Was this the track off the comp?
1: It's it was I mean I put it on the Slim Tones demo cuz it was there but I believe it was also on this one of the Squirrel Energy now comps. Yes. Okay, cool.
0: Well, here's Ball of Yarn by Black Ink Pen right here on Iowa Basement Tapes. <laughs>
2: Once upon a time, a young actress shocked America with her chilling portrayal of a bad little girl. And now, that actress triumphantly returns to terror as the baddest mother of them all. Mommy. Patty McCormick, Academy Award-nominated star of The Bad Seed. bad things to mommy tonight. Jason (laughs) Miller, Academy Award nominee, The Exorcist.
3: You know what I wonder? If you know the kind of game you're playing, and who you're playing it with.
2: Brink Stevens, America's favorite scream queen, as you've never seen her before.
3: Are you all right, Jeff?
2: (laughs) Majel Barrett, adored by millions of Star Trek (laughs) fans
4: nothing more to say to you, Mrs. Sterling.
2: Michael Cornelison, star of Stephen King's Woman in the Room.
4: What in the hell is wrong with you? Never beat me at night. Has everybody gone crazy on this thing? I think that's quite enough.
3: Good afternoon.
2: And the legendary creator of Mike Hammer, Mickey Spillane. Introducing Rachel Lemuel Best Actress, 1995 Iowa Film Festival.
5: You wanted to chase me away. You wanted to chase me away. Why on earth would you want to chase me away? Because, because you wouldn't make a good daddy.
4: And I don't want you to die. You were bothering my daughter today. I wasn't bothering nobody. You got permission to be in here after hours.
2: And Sarah Jane Miller, Best Supporting Actress, 1995 Iowa Film Festival. In the first thriller directed by Max Allen Collins, screenwriter of the April 1995 HBO World Premiere, The Expert, best-selling author of In the Line of Fire, Dick Tracy, and Max. Leonard Moulton, Entertainment Tonight, calls Mommy an impressive little thriller and the worthy successor to The Bad Seed. John Lutz, author of Single White Female, says Mommy is taut, suspenseful, and laced with its cocky and humor. Donald E. Westlake, Academy Award-nominated screenwriter of The Stepfather, says Mommy does exactly what a good movie should do. Rips, frightens, and exhilarates. Mommy knows best. Never let her tuck you in. Say your prayers, dear.
0: Right, listeners, welcome back to Iowa Basement Tapes. I'm your host, Christian Day, and my guest, Dan Loy of the Slim tones who uh, they were around in the early 90s in the Iowa City scene. Um, this is part two of our second anniversary show. I, I say part two because the show premiered 2018. It was July 5th. Well, July 5th was this past Sunday, and I wasn't sure if I would celebrate this week or last week, so we're just turning it into a two-parter. Um, Dan, uh, is playing his, uh, Iowa playlist with us, and he has contributed a few releases to the Bandcamp Archive, um, including Prophets of the Cosmic Universe, Tim, um, the 93 Slim Tones demo, and, uh, he's here, we're talking about, we're talking about his era, his, his time in the scene in Iowa City, and you just heard Hometown Boredom by the Slim Tones, which is on the, the 1993 demo that is available for, Free download on the Iowa Basement Tapes Bandcamp archive. Um, I mean, it kind of sounds like you guys were were four track junkies.
1: Oh yeah, very much so. Uh, th- this was the day where like four track was like a like a godsend, and you would have to go and rent them because they were they were hard to find. So you'd either know someone who had one, and you know, it was this giant bulky huge thing with a, a million knobs and buttons, uh, which cost a ton. Uh, yeah, very, very low-fi, so you'd, you'd rent it or, or whatever for, for a weekend, and you would just find a space, and you would record as much as you possibly can, set up mics if you had them, uh, ping-pong tracks as best as you could, and just, but it was just this, this passion for figuring out the technology and how you could kind of <laughs> deliver your message, I guess, through that as best as possible. Yeah, we were all, like, just big four-track Junkies just trying to figure out how it worked. Um,
0: now, where would you where would you rent one from? Like West Music, if West Music was around back then.
1: Yes, uh, in Muscatine, where I grew up, I knew that we had there was one in like uh, Musky Music, which probably isn't even there anymore. And in, in uh, Iowa City, yeah, West Music I think had them these great big bulky things, and you just hoped that you would rent it, f- read the manual, figure out the the tech, s- set up your mics as best as you can, and just go. And when we recorded the the Slimtones demo. I mean, it was it was over like uh, spring break time, and everyone, you know, town kind of vacated, and we set up in one of the common rooms, I think, at uh, Burge Dormitory, and just set everything up, and, and left it, and just hope that no one be wandering around, take anything. Um, just commandeered the room, and we would just start recording. This one, that yep, it's good. Next one, chew that one again. Yep, we'd maybe run through two or three uh, takes for each song, but sometimes it was just the first. And then uh, Mike Epting would take it back and he would kind of uh, mix it down as best uh, as he could. And boom, there you go. There's your demo.
0: Now, how much would a 4-Trek rent for back in those days?
1: <laughs> I don't remember, but, but I, I, I mean, I remember it wasn't easy because, again, places would only have one. And we were a bunch of poor college students. So we might, I, I mean, I'm going to throw out a number. We might toss together 75 bucks or something like that and get the microphones and and get everything and kind of go. And it was, you know, stick the drums in a corner, uh, maybe put some cardboard boxes in front of them, maybe not, Uh, put the bassist over here, put the guitarist over here, go, and then maybe do overdub vocal like in a bathroom or a hallway or something like that, you know, and you piece it together.
0: Well, how was the, how was the, what's the learning curve on that? (laughs) I mean, seriously. I mean, I mean,
1: well, it's it's evident. I mean, you know, the proof is in the pudding, as it as it is. And I mean, I listen to these tapes, and I have love and fondness for them. And oh, wow, that was great. Um, but at the same time, you know, you're 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 getting the, You're getting the sound. We weren't worried about guitar tone. We weren't worried about getting just the right echo on the bass drum or anything like that that would come in an actual studio. It was more, you know, is the is the solo loud enough? Put the mic a little bit closer this time, you know, and, and record and go with it. But, but that was kind of the beauty of it. The beauty of it is, is, you know, however many years later, 25 years later, you can kind of listen to it and go, yeah, that was a time capsule of it, of the moment, so to speak. So
0: Now, who uh, who is the keeper of the Slim Tones master tapes?
1: <laughs> Again, that would be, that'd be Mike Epting. You'll, you'll, he'll hear his name a few times in this conversation. He... You know, he he's natural uh, music impres- uh, was impresario is what I'm looking for, and I mean, just a brilliant, brilliant man, brilliant young man back then, uh, who went on. I mean, after he left Iowa City, I want to say 96, 97, went off to Seattle, and I'll still every now and again be in a record store and I'll pick up, you know, an odd seven inch, and I'll look at the flip to the back of it, and his name will be in production or thank you or something like that.
0: So, I mean. So he's actually, he went into the industry.
1: To a degree. I mean, I kind of lost track of him, you know, around 2000 and stuff, but, uh, but I know he moved out there with the intent of making a go of it, whether in, in bands or, or in production uh, or things like that. I mean, kind of live in the dream, as it were. We did our very last Slim show, oh gosh, 96, you know, or something like that, and uh, he at that point done Ambush 5, he'd done Blacking Pen, and um, yeah. Wrote, wrote his own ticket, so to speak,
0: now, out did, West. did you guys basically play until you guys were, were graduating then?
1: More or less. I mean, as bands are in this time, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll play in a band for a while, and somebody won't schedule a practice, and before you know it, it's three months later, and you're maybe hanging out with these other people, and you're in this other band. and I mean, that's how the band Tim kind of formed from that. It was sort of a, a long-time hiatus from one band, and... And there's another one right there. So, and that was again. That's kind of the cool hybrid mentality of Iowa City at the time.
0: So let's actually talk about Tim because that Tim was a a very different band than the Slim Tones, and it's almost. I I, you're kind of starting to go into a direction of not. I want to say quite hardcore punk, but you're getting a little bit heavier with your sound.
1: I, I discovered Minor Threat. That's basically ah. what happened with the band name. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> okay, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense.
1: And and I coordinated with some other people who also were more interested in a sound like that. So that's that's where that band came from. Yeah.
0: So you know, with uh, with with Tim, I mean, how long did Tim? exist because this is also a your your demo or ep slayer burrito which is fun. i we i played it last week on the show or i forget which song i played uh i have to it's hard you know I, with with my show because a lot of people only know the show as a podcast and they don't recognize it as the radio show which is the origins and i have to listen to everything to make sure i have no f bombs because my friends at uh at, on the on the uh NPR stations, the two NPR stations that syndicate the show would probably have words to share um, for some of the songs Under- I could play. So,
1: understandable.
0: Yes. So I got, but I did get to listen to the entire release. And it was it's, it's 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 so much different than Slim Tones, and I have an appreciation of 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 just of music in general. And I I do if you've heard the show, you definitely see I kind of fall more under the the heavier stuff, anyways. A lot of the Absolutely. the dirtier punk rock, um, because I I find arc like the 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 archives of Iowa's punk rock scene is very fascinating to me, and its yeah. origins because people don't associate punk rock or hardcore with uh, Iowa in any way. And I was talking to a buddy of mine um, two days ago and he said, yeah, it was a guy I went to college with um, out in Colorado. And he's like, oh man, someone should do that here. And and, and then he stopped for a second second, and he's like, you know what? But I don't think anyone would care because Colorado (laughs) Colorado already has a huge music scene. You know what I mean? Like, and, and they're, they're kind of this haven for, for, for metal and doom metal and black metal. But Iowa, you would never, ever, ever, ever like say like, yeah. There's this hidden archive from pockets of the state.
1: Sure. Of, of yeah. punk music, you know? Yeah, I, I would. I would agree. I mean, at the same time, you know, I grew up again. I grew up in Muscatine, where uh, I remember loads and loads of like. That's where I was introduced, gosh, to like. I mean. I'm thinking back like Morbid Angel, Rigor Mortis. I mean, all like you would go to a friend's place who would live way out in the country, and he'd be like, oh, I'm bringing out some tapes. And he would just have loads of this, at the time, terrifying, terrifying heavy metal. And you're like, what, what is this world that I'm being introduced into, you know? That's the first time I heard The Mentors. I mean, all that stuff was there, which isn't exactly the same as like, you know, DC era uh, punk or anything like that. But it's, it's definitely, on, it was for me unexpected, because at that point, you know, I was used to basic, uh, you know, uh, 97X radio, things like that, which is playing what we would now call classic rock, but at the time it was just rock, and nothing quite as intense or as heavy. But, but I know there's definitely, like you say, pockets, groups, little individuals who over the years have, I mean, all it takes is, yeah, somebody discovers the or first Bad Brains record, and oh, my, what is this? And then they kind of go from there. So,
0: and and you know, and, and I, I, I kind of forget that Muscatine probably gets the same radio because I grew up in the Quad Cities originally, and so we're oh, probably getting right. we're probably getting the same radio. You know, um, now I'm going to ask you about a radio station that was, I think, from your neck of the woods, um, because the station manager Gary at KFMG here in Des Moines used to work at that station. And that would be KFMH.
1: Yes. And he
0: he loves to talk to people about KFMH, and he loves to talk about the show Off the Beaten Track, I think is what it was Was, called.
1: Was that Mary of the Heartlands? Maybe that might have been. I just remember Mary of the Heartland at KFMH, and she was like our savior back in the day.
0: Because they were the ones that were playing a lot of, I guess, the alternative—I hate using the word alternative music because that's technically a a genre in itself, but— that the more of that heavier heavier feel was coming from that station back yeah. then.
1: Mary Mary of the Heartland, I mean, and it was so cool because the station, I mean, you it was just right there in town. You could you could walk there, you could bike there. And she had a, a show, it might have been the one you're talking about. And um oh my gosh, that's that's the first time I heard Hoosker Du, Jane's addiction, probably the first time I heard Dinosaur Jr. I mean, and when you're seventeen and you hear that, it's it truly is like entering into a whole new world and i remember she would like we would know when her show was on and so there was one time gosh i'm getting off on stories here but a buddy of mine uh, and me we caught the replacements in iowa city and this would have been like february 91 and we get back after seeing the replacements and our our, our minds are blown and it's like oh and we 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 got to check and see if mary's there so we went over to, to the station she was on and she got us on the air and we're to you know 17, 18-year-old just, oh, we saw Paul Westerberg and Tommy... I mean, we're just so excited. And she, of course, was nothing but kind and was, like, playing B-sides and rarities and stuff like that the radio station had. So, yeah, that station, you could definitely say, showed me the path that eventually I would take. (laughs) I mean, now, were you guys having
0: shows in Muscatine
1: back then? The band Tim, I want to say, played one or two, we played two shows in Muscatine. Uh, and I'm kind of jumping ahead to the Prophets of the Cosmic Universe. But members who would eventually be, they weren't yet, but they would eventually be in Prophets of the Cosmic Universe, set up shows in Muscatine and would have us come down from Iowa City. We played like the YMCA there and we played, gosh, I don't know if it was like a, uh, a VFW hall or something. I mean, it was just, yeah, just stage at the end, couple amps, maybe a microphone, uh maybe a PA and 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 go. But it was great. Great. You know, memories.
0: Now did the did the did did the punks, the skaters, do they come out for shows in Muscatine? Uh
1: yeah. I mean, and, and Muscatine at the time didn't I mean, I'll just say I, I never felt too intimidated or scary. You know, I got up there and we did our thing and people were were uh into it as best as they possibly could be. Um but uh, I never felt like, we better load this stuff out the back and get gone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this yeah. This group is looking a little, no, 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 nothing like that. But, but yeah, they were always just, you know, in, into the show. I mean, also remembering that, to be honest, we weren't all that good at the time. So <laughs> it was probably, they were maybe just being polite. Oh, there's a band. Yeah,
0: yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> all the, all the, young, the, young, the young kids will come out
1: for this. Ah, great. <laughs> uh,
0: I want to get into your next song here. Um, oh, yeah. and then when we come back, I want to talk more about Tim. Um, so you have a song here by Tim, um, off the, uh, Slayer burrito. This is, uh, um, one step outside.
1: I will just say, yeah, this, this was kind of our attempt if we had one to write, uh, not, not at all a single, but at least something that people could maybe hum along to. It's, it's probably the catchiest of the Tim songs. I'm not saying it's the best one, but, uh, but yeah, so we kind of said let's let's actually write something that has a chorus, and that's where this song came from.
0: All right, this is uh, one step outside off the Slayer Burrito EP by Tim, right here on Iowa Basement Tapes.
3: So much juice, you could call me Bruce Willis. They're not gangsters. I'm straight up thug, you know. Tony him everything you know. But
2: everyone wanna get a record deal has got a dream. Thank
3: you, all my fans.
2: Fox Searchlight Pictures presents Danny Hawk. It's all good. Dash My Hawk and Mark Webber in a comedy about three white boys running around pretending you're black. I am black. With a posse. Yeah. A plan. Making
5: cake, baby!
2: And a problem. Hook me up with your home.
5: Yo, this ain't Kansas. I'm not the wizard.
2: Special appearances by yeah. Fat Joe, Dead Prez, Mike Geronimo, Slick Rick, Doug E. Fresh, and Snoop yeah. Dogg. Straight guest. This summer. How is it this white dude could be such adult rapper, right? That's what I'm saying, man. <laughs> it's not who you wanna be. Why you act like you're black?
3: Don't let my skin confuse you, alright?
2: It's who you are. Like you
3: think that's a birthmark, right? <laughs> that's the real color of my skin, and the rest of me is a birthmark. What? White boys. Living like stars, you know who we white, are. White,
2: white, white boys, white.
0: listeners, welcome back to Iowa Basement Tapes. I'm your host, Christian Day, and with my guest, Dan Loy, and we're talking about uh, his era of the Iowa City music scene, or Eastern Iowa, really, because this next band that we're going to talk about that we just played, My Toy Armageddon, um, was from Burlington. Um, But this is the second anniversary show, part two. We we had last week, we just did part one, and Dan, my first guest in many months on this show. Um, Now, Let's talk about My Toy Armageddon, because the first thing that blew my mind was that you said this. it was one guy on a four-track recorder.
1: Yes, yes. Um, and I'm, I'm going to put a, a slight correction in just to start off with that he's actually from Muscatine. Oh, okay. Iowa. Which is, you know, uh, and his, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so My Toy Armageddon was the um, the amazing brainchild of one Chad who I had the great honor of, of growing up with and, um, continue to be really good friends with actually to this day. And, uh, he, yes, he, he basically in his basement bedroom on a farm in Iowa, um, over the course of, gosh, I'm not sure how long he worked on this, um, created this, this, this amazing, amazing work, uh, using, you know, he had a synthesizer, drum machine, uh, guitar, a four track and his voice and, uh, in his own wicked imagination. And, um, I'll, I mean, I always remember the first time I heard this because, you know, I'd been four tracking forever and you get to the point, where you're like, man, I'm pretty good. I, I can put a solo and even double that solo and I can ping pong tracks and I know, I know what I'm doing. And you, you kind of get this level of like, wow, you know, sharing tapes with one another, like, look, look what I did. And then Chopa drops Cybernetic on the album that this came from an album I mean, not just, not just a song, a, a whole uh, concept sci-fi album um, that he had created, you know, on his four track in his basement. And I remember putting it on and just, I mean, my mind just exploded. <laughs> I had never heard anything like this. I couldn't believe that this was a person that I knew was a very good friend, that he had created such a, a complete work. Uh, just in his basement. And to this day, you know, I listen to it to it now and am floored by by the nuances. And, and, and not only, the, I mean, you could listen to it with a technical ear and say, I can't believe, how did he even do that? But also just the, the songwriting chops, the skills, everything that he put into this um, was mind-boggling, at, at, you know, and continues to be.
0: Well, I, I played the song Legacy last week, and... And he had such a strong like YouTube, like YouTube meets like a science fiction film from the '80s, um, with a little bit of dabbles of David Bowie in there. And i was like, how how did he do this? You know, because I know guys that I mean, I mean, and I, I'm 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 gonna date some of the the young folks that record on a computer. I'm like, this guy couldn't see any waves, couldn't see any like multi track waves laid out in front of him you know it was 100% by year that he laid all this stuff out i mean did he have like did he have a lot of gear to do this cuz this wasn't one of those things with virtual instruments you know
1: no i mean and the guy the guy you know has worked in computers for much of his life he was an early, what you would call an early era computer nerd back in the day uh you know and and this kind of his bag so he he might have had some very very early you know mid 90s uh you know, mixing technology of some kind. But if I remember correctly, yeah, it, it was basically going straight. You know, it was, it was ending up on as a four-track recording. Um, you mentioned David Bowie. Yeah, he's, I mean, he was the guy who got me into Bowie originally. Big Queen fan, big Judas Priest fan. So he had kind of very different influences from what me and my bandmates were listening to. Oh, we're listening to Dinosaur Jr. We're listening to Uncle Tupelo. You know, he's like, I'm going to make a science fiction record, which is, you know, influenced by Judas Priest and David Bowie, you know, and and then he did. So it's pretty remarkable.
0: I mean, I could probably see him maybe using some of the early Macintoshes for maybe some sequencing, but it wasn't like everything was compacted to a laptop. I mean, you may have a computer, but you still need to have a synthesizer or some boxes outside of that computer to plug into to control them to send those sounds to the four track. Right. You know, yeah. um, Yeah, I mean, how do I mean? There's and there's definitely some like sampling in there. So, like, how did he did he have a sampler? Did he just like hold the pause button on a cassette and then dropped it in? (laughs) You know,
1: I I I would imagine. I mean, knowing Chopa, you know, who is again, I've I've known some brilliant people in my life, and and he's definitely one of them. I I imagine it was a combination of you know uh, old school. Techniques such as you're mentioning, you know, distancing yourself from the microphone and and, and whatever he can figure out versus, you know, whatever cutting edge he could get his hands on at the time, uh, which, you know, I don't know how cutting edge it could have been compared to now. So. uh, So, yeah. And uh, it it wasn't the technical aspects of it blew my mind, but also like the content, because, again, you know, we were we were writing songs about, I don't know, girlfriends and breakups. And then he comes out. With, with this thing, uh, which, you know, w- was incredible. But then he would also, um, like, he would record kind of one-off goofy tunes. He would do, like, country covers of Spice Girls songs and, and things <laughs> like that. So he would, he would kind of assort, get this assortment of, of things, just learning how the technology worked, um, and then incorporate some into these, these grand opuses, and then others would just be hilarious things to listen to with friends.
0: Um, what, is, uh, what is this guy doing? What
1: is- um, Chad uh, he, well, you mentioned Colorado before. He, actually, I was living in Colorado for a while. He, you know, ended up kind of working out there with some different industries. And I believe the last I've talked to him, he's living in Corville, Iowa now.
0: Really? He's... Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, as far as, yeah, every time I kind of hit him up and ask him if there's been any more music or, or anything else. And, I mean, the guy was, you know, a bit, a bit of a polymath. I mean, he would, he would do draw comics, he would do, write, you know, novels and stick them in his, uh, his drawer. I mean, so, just a creative force, um, which I've, again, always been really lucky to have in my life. And, uh, but the last few times that I've talked to him, which is, a grand, at this point, it's been a few years since so I've asked about music, He's been like no, the guitars gathering dust and things like that. So, which is a travesty. It's terrible.
0: It is. I mean, I mean, I mean when you hear, if you hear that, that 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 first record, which I think the, the one that you that you sent to me was that the first one he did?
1: I believe I believe so. Cyberneticon was like the first kind of uh, complete like piece that he wanted to put out there. So, yeah.
0: I mean, it is. I mean, this this is a guy that needs to be created. But I mean, it almost feels like he has so much create- creative energy you don't even know what to do with it because you just make things, but then it's like, okay, it's made next thing. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Very much so. That's, that's him. That's him to a T. Uh, love him, love him to death. I very much wish he'd pick up his guitar again and uh, make some, make some music. So, yeah.
0: Um, I want to talk about um, before we, we end the show, I want to talk about prophets of the cosmic universe, because this was a, the band aside from slim tones that you were really um, pushing my direction.
1: Yeah, this is a band which um uh gosh, where do I even start with this? I mean, they it's it's been one of those albums, much like Cyberneticon, it's been one of those albums which I feel just I look at it and I'm like I I'm so happy this is in my life because it could have so easily not been in my life. I mean, like this the stuff you have to go track it down, you got to find it. And um Prophets of the Cosmic Universe uh came to me. Again, Chad Chopa, I believe actually sent it to me. I was I was living in Colorado Springs and, you know, a teaching and trying to, to be a teacher and kind of learning th- the ropes of that. And I'd kind of lost track of for tracking and lost track of, of being in bands. And um, Chet Chopa says, hey, um, the Cadena boys, the guys that we grew up with in Muscatine, the Cadena brothers, they, they put this thing together. Um, you know, would you like me to send you a copy? And I'm like, oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And so uh, Fran and Patricio Cadena were friends of a family in Muscatine Um, and uh, they were always kind of like the younger brothers who were kind of hanging around and their their older brother Manuel was a really good friend of mine and so like Manny and I would be playing in the basement and Fran and Patricio would be hanging out just kind of watching us play and so it was this very much like you know we're the big kids and they're the small kids and so when he sent this to me I gotta be honest I didn't really expect much I thought, oh, this will be a couple of cute, Yeah, you know, it's going to be cute, it's going to be adorable. Um, I put it on and it completely floored me. It completely floored me. And I was instantly uh, furious and jealous of how good they sounded and how, how capable they were and just amazed at, uh, at, at how good it, it sounded. And so this has been in my collection ever since. I mean, this is something which has never left the heavy rotation that, that I listened to
0: awesome and uh all right well here we're gonna close tonight's show out with uh highway 22 by uh prophets of the cosmic universe dan loy thank you so much for for doing this show uh this has been a treat especially for being the first guest in months this has been a, a great deep dive
1: I'm really, really happy to be here. And again, I want to say thank you so much for keeping these tapes circulating. I think it's such an important thing.
0: It's what we do. All right, everybody. Prophets of the Cosmic Universe right here on Iowa Basement Tapes. I'm here to say goodnight, and we'll see you next week. Tapes is produced by Christian Day Media and is distributed across the state of Iowa on community and public radio stations. If you miss a show, be sure to subscribe to the podcast archives on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play.